These are the daily lectionary comments for November the 24th. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is humbled by God and then restored. Revelation 21, we see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven like a bride. Okay, Daniel chapter 4. You'll note that the, the character of Daniel, that is the book, and, and the messages that he got and the truths that are being delivered here in this book are really quite different than what we got in Jeremiah, for example, or what we had been learning in, in First and, and Second Kings or in Ezra and Nehemiah. Those were very parochial in the sense that they, they dealt almost exclusively with what was happening in Israel, uh, God's warnings to the Israelites to be faithful to the covenant that he had called them to. Uh, Jeremiah's enemies were other Jews who, or Israelites who, who uh, were, were not believers, but they at least all knew who Moses was. But with the book of Daniel, the scene shifts from the land of Israel to Babylon, and we're among the exiles. And the exiles, the, the, the Israelites were a very puny people compared to the Babylonians. That is, the Babylonians was a much larger empire, much, much more powerful, much more cosmopolitan. And, and so these Israelites now being transplanted in this new land that knew nothing about Moses, knew nothing about Egypt, knew nothing, uh, that is, uh, being brought out of Egypt, knew nothing about any of that, and don't care. They consider themselves superior to the Israelites in every regard and had every reason to think so since they were much wealthier and much more powerful. Um, and so the question then, a couple of questions uh, or ways in which Daniel deals with, uh, deals with the, uh, uh, the situation differently than what we've seen before. Number one, the question is now, how do we be faithful to God when we're surrounded by people who don't even know who God is and don't care? So the argument now isn't a call to repentance for others who have, should be, mindful of the, uh, of the covenant with, uh, with Moses. They're not mindful and they don't care. So there's no point in calling them to repentance. So that's one thing. How do you remain faithful to God in a land where nobody knows about him or cares about him? The second thing in Daniel we see is a much more cosmopolitan view. So in other words, we're not just looking at Judah or Judah and, and, and Ephraim or maybe a couple of the other little nations around, or maybe we're looking at one of the bigger nations, but only as it affects Judah. We don't care about Babylon until Babylon invades Judah. Here, we have a much, much more cosmopolitan view. The question that is being presented and addressed and dealt with is not just how does God deal with Israel, how does God deal with the prophets? But how does God deal with the pagan kings? And what is God's role and how does he work with the nations of this world? And in what sense is God actually active in a man like Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, doesn't know anything about God and couldn't care less about Israel. The message in Daniel chapter 4 is that God is very much in control, even of Nebuchadnezzar, even of this vast uh, empire called Babylon that knows nothing about Moses and cares nothing about the covenant and looks down on these little Israelites. Even there, God is the most high. Even there, God is in control. And it turns out that even the risings and the fallings of a great empire like Babylon are all the workings of this God who called Israel out of Egypt, 
who raised up Moses, who raised up David, who sent Jeremiah. This God is also very, very active in behind all the scenes, even in Babylon. Now we get an, a very interesting picture here of Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, who has learned an important lesson. Our, the reading starts off with uh, Nebuchadnezzar praising God. And one wonders about that, why this man would be uh, praising God. Uh, but he is, he's praising God. And then we learn why. So beginning at, uh, well, let's see here. Beginning at verse four, we have an explanation. This whole chapter four is basically in the form of a letter, as, as though Nebuchadnezzar has written a letter. And it starts out with this doxology, this praise to God. And one wonders why he's praising God as having this everlasting kingdom and a dominion rules from generation to generation. You wonder why Nebuchadnezzar is saying a thing like that. And then the letter describes why. Nebuchadnezzar re, uh, recounts in the first person how he had this dream and that Daniel interpreted the dream and the dream essentially was that as great and wonderful as Nebuchadnezzar had become, um, the God who had raised him up uh, is now quite displeased with him and is going to have him chopped down. Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his mind. He's going to lose his kingdom and he's going to live like an animal for a little while and then God is going to restore him. So Nebuchadnezzar describes to Daniel this dream. dream uh, Daniel interprets this to Nebuchadnezzar uh, and that's, uh, um, that's what we get uh, from verse 4 uh, all the way through verse 27. And then in verse 28, Daniel himself says, and all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And he talks about how he went nuts uh, and ate grass like an ox and, and lived out in the woods and lost his, his kingdom entirely. And then we learn that after a period of time, he came to his senses and was restored again. This is at verse 34. So from verse 28 to verse 33, Daniel describes what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Before that, Nebuchadnezzar was telling us himself. In the beginning of verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar comes back again for himself, and he says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes, and my reason returned to me. All of this is about how God humbled Nebuchadnezzar because he had become so arrogant. Even though God had lifted him up and given him all the glory that he had, he had surmised that, that he was this great and mighty thing and had not given true glory and honor to the one true God. And therefore, the one true God humbled him and delivered to him the message through the mouth of Daniel that that's exactly what happened. And so the, our reading for today ends with uh, Nebuchadnezzar again saying uh, in, in verse um, 34, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Um, the, the lesson that we are to learn in this, or the, shall we say the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar is to learn in this, is that it doesn't matter whether you're Israel or any other nation of the earth. Verse 17 says this, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliness of men. So this is to remind Daniel, the other Israelites there in captivity, but also us as well. 
it is not only the church, it is not only Israel, it is not only religious things over which God rules, but all the nations of the world ultimately serve him. And he's the one that causes kingdoms to rise or fall. He's the one that causes battles to be won or lost. He is behind it all. And so these Israelites deported to this great and vast and wonderful land, so much grander than Israel, learn quickly that actually God is God here too, even over these people who do not know him or acknowledge this. Okay, Revelation chapter 21. This, for the first time, we are now in, in, in John's vision, overlooking the entire span of history and looking beyond Jesus' second coming. So we are now seeing a vision of the new heaven and the new earth, which Christ will establish when he returns. It, it describes Jerusalem as a city coming down out of heaven. It, it says she's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We've talked about how um, uh, Jesus often refers to himself as a bridegroom and the church as the bride in various um, of his parables. Remember the wedding feast of the Lamb in his kingdom. And now we have uh, the new Jerusalem, that is the remade, recreated Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. This is a vision. And I want you to imagine that what Jerusalem actually is, is a city that's floating down from heaven and coming down to earth. And then how can a city be a bride as well? So you have kind of a, a mixing of metaphors. Don't worry about that. What it's trying to describe, however, is that a city was a place of safety and community in the ancient world. And Jerusalem is the consummate place of safety and community. What is in this city? Well, lots of beautiful things we'll see tomorrow. But right now it says, behold, this is verse three, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will be with them as their God. Note that this has been the thrust of the entire scriptures. The entire scripture is about how God wants to live with us. The challenge is that we are sinful and unclean and God is holy. And so you had a temple and you had a priesthood and, and then you had a lot of friction between God and his disobedient people. Uh, and, and God was forced to be uh, uh, everlastingly patient and forgiving with these people because we were everlastingly resistant to God's presence. God is present among his people by faith there in this temple. But now in the new heaven and the new earth and in the new Jerusalem, there is no temple because God is there. So it's not necessary to have a temple so that God may dwell among his people in this highly protected way. Um, but instead, we have direct access to him. He dwells with us. And finally, the promise of God that, that, has, that was fractured in, in uh, Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they were cast from the Garden of Eden. Finally, that curse is being reversed and God once again is living with human beings and human beings once again are living with God as was always God's intention. So this is the fulfillment of all that has been happening since God called Abraham all the way through the rising up of, of the patriarchs of Israel and Moses, of, of the kingship and David of the terrible exile and the return of the coming of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, uh, 
now his second coming and finally the plan of god is completely fulfilled and god now lives with us and us with god and that is the essence of heaven everything else is a glorious picture um, you don't take it literally you just understand that this is a wonderful glorious place but what is to be taken literally is that god's dwelling is with men and human beings now live with god and that is something that we have never experienced since the first two chapters of genesis and this is what we call the glorious world without end